I am your guest speaker this morning for obvious reasons. I'd rather stand here and watch you make signs for a while. Kids are welcome to go to the kids' zone. Well, the kids are heading out. Uh, listen to the first verse of this song, and then uh, with the second verse, they'll repeat it. I'd like you to sing with them um, in moments like these. Maybe. Let's see. Thank you. 
prayer that you can honestly pray today. Amen. That you love the Lord. Many years ago at the Cannon Beach Bible Conference Center, I had the privilege to sit down for dinner with one of God's great, seasoned, experienced, wise preachers. He was really not only a preacher, but he was a preacher to preachers. And I asked him, could you suggest an author for me to read, one that has really impacted your whole life? And without a moment's hesitation, he said, J.C. Ryle. John Charles Ryle was born in 1816, and he entered the ministry with the Church of England in 1841 at the age of 25, and he began writing in 1856 at the age of 40, and after that he became known as one of the great preachers in England. He died at the age of 84 in 1900, but he was known as, and I quote, the man of granite with the heart of a child. Many of his books are still in print. And when you read his books, you can feel the power. After all these years, you just feel the power coming through those pages. And they're full of great quotes, which brings us to our quote of the week from Bishop John Charles Ryle. If people have no likeness to the Father in heaven, it's pointless to talk of their being his child. If people have no likeness to the Father in heaven, it's pointless to talk of their being his child. Because, see, if God is your father, then you should expect some family likeness. Now, it's not going to be a perfect family likeness, but there's going to be some family likeness. There's going to be God's character in you to some degree if you're really his child. And today we're going to continue our study of the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to share some other quotes with you of this man of granite with the heart of a child, uh, Bishop Ryle. But part of the problem of, of being a teacher of God's Word is that you teach the Word, but the Word of God, apart from the Spirit of God working, is fruitless. It's fruitless. The Word of God must be empowered by the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts. And when one is a teacher of God's Word, sometimes you depend more upon your preparation than upon the Spirit. And I'm praying that this morning that the preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God, will be empowered by the Spirit of God so that you'll leave this place different. The passage we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews is, is just so powerful. And I just pray that our time here would not be wasted. 
Father, I pray that you would prepare each of our hearts and that the seed of the, soul, seed of the Word of God would fall on good soil so that it would bear fruit, thus giving evidence that we are really the people of God because we have a Father likeness. And so, Father, um, glorify your Son, glorify yourself, and honor your word as we teach it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the history of the church, there were churches or denominations that were called holiness churches. It was a religious movement that began in the mid-19th century in America, and they believed that after salvation in the finished work of Jesus Christ, there was what they called a second work of grace, an instantaneous crisis experience with God that resulted in what they called entire sanctification, meaning this, that a believer could come to the point where they no longer sin. In God's first work of grace, said the holiest movement, you are saved from sin's penalty, from the wrath of God. But in God's second work of grace, you're saved from sinning. You no longer possess that inclination to sin. And holiness churches include churches like the Bible Missionary Church, the Church of the Nazarene, the Church of God Anderson, Indiana, the Evangelical Church of North America, the Evangelical Methodist Church, the Free Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Church, Free Will Baptists, the Salvation Army, and, and many others. And while I don't subscribe personally to entire sanctification, where one comes to the place in your relationship with God where you no longer sin this side of eternity. I very much do appreciate their emphasis on living a holy life. And so should you. I appreciate their emphasis that Jesus Christ came not only to save us from sin's penalty, but he also came to save us from sin's power. And we don't preach that quite enough, I don't believe. Jesus Christ has come not only to save us from the penalty of sin, but Jesus has come to save us from the dominion of sin in our lives. He's come to change us. In the words of, um, of J.C. Ryle, Jesus Christ is not only half a savior. Here's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Maybe you've read it so fast you skimmed over it. He, Jesus, himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. Amen. One grand end and one grand purpose for which Jesus Christ came into this world was to make a people holy people. So that every church should be, in the broadest sense of the term, a holiness church. Whereas followers of Jesus Christ, we strive to be holy. Because holiness is required of every child of God. 
In fact, if, if, a, if a church isn't a holiness church in the broadest sense, it's really not a New Testament church. J.C. Ryle wrote this, We must be holy because this is the one grand end and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Jesus is a complete Savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin. He does more. He breaks its power. Now that's New Testament truth. That can be verified again and again and again in the New Testament, not in just 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. But one of the most powerful and one of the most convicting verses on the need for every believer to walk in holiness is found in the book of Hebrews. And it's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, which says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The word holiness does not mean sinless. It literally means to be set apart, to be different, to be distinctive, to be uncommon, to be dedicated to God. So every believer in Jesus Christ is set apart to live a different kind of life, a distinctive kind of life in this world, which is godless and lawless and out of control. Every true believer is to live a distinctive life for the praise and the glory of God because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Notice the sequence of holiness. Salvation from sin, that is salvation from the wrath of God upon sin comes first and holiness follows. You don't earn salvation through holiness. Holiness is not a condition of salvation, it's a consequence of salvation. Holiness is not the prerequisite to salvation, it's the result of salvation. Holiness is not the means to salvation, but the evidence of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only means to salvation. No one else died for your sins except Jesus Christ. No one fulfilled the words of the prophet, the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. No one else is the eternal Son of God who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. You must come first to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord before you ever can or ever will live a holy life before God. Some, some folks erroneously think that in order to establish this relationship with God, they, they must first clean up their lives. And then, after they clean up their lives, according to their definition, then God's going to accept them. They think that they must first present themselves to God as moral and good people, and then God in turn will make them His own. Well, that's not what the Bible says at all. As the old gospel song puts it, the Bible says you come just as you are. Just as I am without one plea. That is, there, I have nothing to offer to God. <laughs> nothing. I am spiritually bankrupt. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. 
that if only the blood of Jesus Christ deals with my sin and brings me to God. Amen. So just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, will welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise, I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. You come to Jesus Christ just as you are. And you acknowledge your sin, and you repent of your sin, you must be willing to turn from your sin, and then you find in Jesus Christ the full remedy for your sin. You don't try to put your life together first and then come with some feeble attempt to, to God. No, you come as you are. You, you come as a begging sinner in need of a Savior. You come first to Jesus, then He will make you holy by giving you a new heart and a new desire and new goals and a new life. Salvation first. Then comes holiness. That's the sequence of holiness. And then the specifics of holiness, what does holiness look like? You know, some folks come to church, and uh, not so much here maybe, but they'll come to church and they'll shout and dance and holler an occasional amen or hallelujah. Well, yeah, there's an amen or hallelujah. But scripture never identifies that as a mark of holiness. Some come to church and they should tears of sorrow and they, they share tears of conviction. But you and I both well know that many a tear has been shed in many a church service that never led to holiness. It was just a temporary emotional response to truth. It was, it was a, a sense of guilt, but it never resulted in holiness. In some pastor churches or lead Bible studies and serve on leadership teams and and they display all the outward characteristics of one who walks with God, but in private. When no one is watching but God alone, then their true spiritual condition is revealed. And it's not characterized by holiness. Some folks pray beautiful and bold prayers that impress other people. But that doesn't tell me that a person is walking in holiness either. So what does holiness look like? Well, some suggest, and rightly so, that holiness is defined by the life of Jesus Christ. You want to know what holiness looks like? Look at Jesus. No one was holier than He. Well, what was His life characterized by? Well, His life was characterized by compassion. It says, when Jesus saw a crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, he saw their physical needs, he saw their emotional needs, he saw their family needs, he saw their spiritual needs. He looked beyond that outward facade and he saw the needs of their heart. And so he saw a crowd and he saw their needs. And each one of those sheep, they, were, they had unique needs. All of us have different stories. Each of us have our own hurts. Each of us have our own weaknesses. And he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They, they were aimless. 
They were wandering through life without a shepherd. And what does a shepherd do? Well, he guides, guards, protects, and provides. And Jesus would see the crowds and just had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Do you have compassion when you see a crowd? People aimlessly wandering through life without a shepherd to guide, guard, protect, and provide. Well, Jesus did. That, that's part of holiness. And Jesus was characterized by love. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Well, did Jesus lay down his life for his friends? He spent his whole life, and he gave his whole life out of love. The sacrifice of self in service to another. He laid down his life for his friends. Do you lay down your life for your friends? That's part of holiness. And Jesus loved kids. That's part of holiness. I know some Christians that don't love kids. Okay, they have a spiritual problem. Jesus loved kids. Um, he said, let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And it says he took the children and he put them in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. Part of holiness is loving kids. And shielding them from the world. Shielding them from the devil. Shielding them from lies. And Jesus was characterized by humility. Everything Jesus did, he did with a humble heart. There's a worship song that talks about Jesus, and he says, he's the darling of heaven. I like that phrase. He's the darling of heaven. The, the king and darling of heaven came to this earth, and how did he live? Humbly. <laughs> Born in a manger. Served the needs of others. He was humility personified. Everything he did, he did in dependence upon the Father. He did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but he was always looking out for the needs of other people. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Well, humility is a mark of holiness. Are you humble? Jesus was characterized by a forgiving spirit on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He was characterized by righteous anger. I mean, he was angry at the right things. Now, we get angry, but we're usually angry at the wrong things. We're angry because our rights have been violated, and our comfort has been inconvenienced, and our toes have been stepped on, and our feelings have been hurt, and we are offended. But when Jesus got angry, it was never about him. <laughs> it was never about him. He got angry when the rights of others were being violated. He got angry because the honor and name of God was being dishonored. It was never for petty reasons or selfish reasons. So being angry at the right things at the right time in the right way, that's a characteristic of holiness. What kind of anger do you have? Jesus is characterized by authentic prayer. He was talking to the Father all the time. It says he often withdrew to, to lonely places and prayed. Luke 5.16 So some people say, well, holiness 
is defined by the life of Jesus. And that's, it's true. It is. We don't, as believers in Jesus Christ, we don't live up to it every day. But we strive for it. We long for that. Some others suggest that holiness is characterized by the unforbidden fruit, that is, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that'd be true too, wouldn't it? What is the fruit of the Spirit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is love. You're always seeking the other person's highest good. It's joy. It's maintaining a, a spirit of cheerfulness despite life's many challenges. It's peace, tranquility of heart. It's patience, accepting a difficult situation from the Lord without giving Him a deadline to remove it. It's a willingness to wait with joy. And there's kindness, which is thoughtfulness put into action. There's goodness, a sweet disposition to do good to people. There's faithfulness. That's the characteristic of being dependable. Gentleness, expressing tender and appropriate care to another's emotional needs, self-control. It's rejecting my desires in order to do what is right. Well, there's no debate, really, that those nine evidences are characteristics of holiness. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And then there are others that suggest that the marks of holiness, couldn't they be found in the 14 characteristics that describe a church leader? that describe a spiritual leader. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 it says, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, and that was one name for a church leader, he desires a noble task. And then it says, now, the, the overseer must be above reproach. And that literally means not to be laid hold upon. That is, there's nothing in his life of which the adversary can take hold and justly accuse them. And he must be of such a character that no one can lay hold upon anything in his life that would damage the reputation of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean faultless, for no child of Adam is faultless. But it has to do with a irreproachable, observable conduct. And when Paul says that the overseer must be above reproach, it's not a separate qualification. He's using that as the starting point that the overseer must be above reproach in the following areas. And then he lists 14 areas. And he says this, must be the husband of what, but one wife. Literally, it says, he must be a one-woman man. Amen. And as he has eyes for one woman alone. And that is his wife. He's sexually pure, in other words. Must be temperate. Oops. Must be temperate. Not giving to any excesses in his life. He's self-controlled. That is, he masters himself with the help of God. Um, he's respectable. People look up to him. He's hospitable. That is, his home is open to others especially for the advancement of the gospel. The word hospitable literally means a, a friend of strangers. 
Then it says he's able to teach. Doesn't mean he has a spiritual gift of teaching, but but he's able to teach the, the foundational truths of God's word. He's not given to drunkenness. That is, his judgment is never impaired by alcohol or any other substance. He's not violent. He's not prone to, to physical violence, uncontrolled anger. He's gentle, has a tender spirit. He's not quarrelsome, not argumentative. Why are you looking at me, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, quarrelsome, and he looks at me like... <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, there's a lot of stuff you got to be. You know? <laughs> pretty tough oh, you got to listen to the end of the message. <laughs> but, but he's not quarrelsome. You know, he doesn't have to have the last word on everything. He's not a lover of money. You know, he's not controlled by the desire to get rich. He sees money... From a scriptural standpoint, it, it's there to provide for himself, to provide for his family, to help support the needs of those less fortunate than he. It's there to support God's word and God's work. He must manage his own family well. And it says to see that his children obey him with proper respect. The word manage is literally to stand in front of, to preside over. So. He fulfills the function of being a godly, loving leader in his home. Now, the qualifications of a spiritual leader in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7 is, is talking about a man who's an overseer. Now, I was talking here about a woman. It would say not so much uh, managing her own family well, but from the rest of Scripture, it would be like 1 Peter 3, 1 that she, she fits in with her husband's plan. She, she supports him in his leadership. He must not be a recent convert. That is, if he's going to lead the church, he must not be inexperienced in the things of God. You want somebody who has some experience. And then he must have a good reputation with outsiders. Not only insiders, but outsiders. He's, he's well thought of in, in the community as well. Now, you look at those 14 characteristics and you say, well, yeah, that, that's, that's a great goal. Those are marks of holiness that we, we should strive for. That is another accurate description of a holy life. And so you've got the life of Jesus, you've got the fruit of the Spirit, you've got the qualifications of spiritual leader, and they all depict and, and describe holiness. But there's one more thing, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. You'll notice on the screen it says, without holiness no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14, B. <laughs> What's an A? Well, Hebrews 12, 14 begins a new paragraph, and it says this. Make every effort to be at peace with all men. And to be holy. So it's make every effort to be at peace with all men and make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 
And so, although it's not identical with holiness, it is part of holiness. It is associated with holiness. That is, to be at peace with all men. And if that's not enough, you read the next verse, verse 15, and it says, And see to it that no one misses the grace of God, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And again, that's dealing with social relationships. So it seems to me that holiness must also be identified with getting along with people and not allowing bitterness to grow in your heart when someone offends you or slights you. You don't hold grudges. You overlook most offenses. I say most offenses because some offenses must not be overlooked. Some offenses must be confronted. But most offenses you overlook. But you seek to maintain a healthy relationship with all people, as far as it depends upon you. So there are times when you're going to take the initiative to try to, to mend that relationship. Because you know that there's, there's something between you and them and God doesn't want anything to be there, as far as it depends upon you. And so you heal emotional estrangement. That might be requiring you to ask for their forgiveness. Or it might be just that you need to talk things out to come to, to some sort of an agreement. But conflict glorifies Satan, and conflict impedes the work of God. But being a peacemaker for the sake of Christ, desiring reconciliation with people, as far as it depends upon you, is part of holiness. So pursuing peace and pursuing holiness go hand in hand in Hebrews 12, verse 14. So you live like Jesus, you display the fruit of the Spirit, you, you set the qualification to the spiritual leader as a goal in your life, and then you make every effort to live at peace with all men, as far as it depends upon you. And to be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Those are all examples of holiness, the specifics of holiness. And the source of holiness, well, every true believer in Jesus Christ knows you can't live the Christian life on your own. <laughs> Standards are much too high. You don't have the strength, you don't have the power, you don't have the resources, you don't have the ability, you don't have the wisdom. So here's how the Apostle Paul put it. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. There's the strength for holiness. It's Christ living in me by the presence of the Spirit of Christ. That gives me the enablement to be holy. Now we still must make the hard choices, the choice to obey God, the choice to resist temptation, the choice to, to love, the choice to pray, the choice to do right, 
But if we make the choice, he'll make the change. Because his spirit is powerful enough to enable us to be what we are not by our own nature. He enables us to be holy. So you make the choice, he'll make the change. He'll give you the spiritual power to be holy. We're never on our own. We work in cooperation and conjunction with the Spirit of God who now lives in us. I know it's an old song and nobody knows it anymore, but I love it. What's far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see. But in God's Word, the light I found, and it's Christ, liveth in me. With longing all my heart is filled, that like Him I may be. And on this wondrous thought I dwell, Christ liveth in me. When you're going through life, and you know, you're going through a tough time, you quote Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. That's the source of holiness. And if you're surrendering your life to Jesus Christ and you're allowing His Spirit to take up residence and have control, then you have everything you need to live a holy life. You're not on your own. You make the choice. He'll make the change. He'll enable you to be holy. And the struggle with holiness, you know, don't even have to preach on this one. <laughs> we all struggle at times, don't we? Because there's a continual warfare going on. We have the pressure of the world around us. We have our own sinful self within us. We have the devil and his legion of demons. So now that we're in Christ, most of the time we overcome, but sometimes we're overcome. And if we are overcome, it's no one's fault but our own because Christ lives in us. He gives us the enablement to live righteously in every point in our lives. But it's a battle. <laughs> it is a battle. And it's a battle that you'll have for the rest of your life. Galatians 5.17 says, The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you don't do what you want. And all God's people said, Amen. J.C. Ryle wrote this. He says, I shall never hesitate to tell people that inward conflict is no proof that a man is not holy. And that they must think they are not sanctified or holy because they do not feel entirely free from inward struggle. Such freedom we will doubtless have in heaven, but we shall never enjoy it in this world. The heart of the best Christian, even at his best, is a field occupied by two rival camps. And there's a war going on. And so... J.C. Ryle would say again and again, you watch and you pray and you fight. Holiness is normally gradual, it's progressive, and as you grow in grace, as you walk in holiness, I believe it's safe to say it does become easier. 
but there's always a battle. You're always vulnerable. And sometimes you take two steps forward and one step back, and sometimes you take one step forward and three steps back, and sometimes you even take four steps forward and no steps back. Sometimes it's progress, but sometimes it's regress, and so we always have to be on guard. J.C. Ryle again. I should as soon as expect a farmer to prosper in business who contented himself with sowing his fields and never looking at them till harvest, as I expect a believer to attain much holiness who is not diligent about his Bible reading, his prayers, and his use of his Sundays. But there's still going to be a battle. The struggle with holiness. And then the seriousness of holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's pretty serious. So I'm studying this passage this past week. And I'm going, well, that's not right. I mean, won't everybody see the Lord at the judgment seat? No one will see the Lord. And then it dawned on me that he's not talking about judgment, he's talking about eternity. You'll see the Lord at judgment. You'll stand before God at judgment. But you're not going to see the Lord throughout eternity unless holiness is a characteristic of your life. Because Second Thessalonians chapter 1 says that those who are unbelievers are shut out from the presence of God. And through eternity, you'll be shut out from the presence of God. But those whose lives are characterized by holiness, we're going to see the Lord. It goes along with Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see who? God. Holiness is not the means to salvation. No. Holiness is the proof that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's the evidence of salvation. So if there's no fruit of holiness whatsoever, then there's no reason to believe that our faith is genuine. Some final quotes from my new friend, Bishop Ryle. The talk of being men saved from the guilt of sin without at the same time being saved from its dominion in their hearts is to contradict the witness of all scripture. Jesus is a complete savior. He does not merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin, he does more, he breaks its power. It will be utterly useless to plead that we believed in Christ unless our faith has had some sanctifying effect and seen in our lives without some evidence that our faith in Christ was real and genuine, we shall only rise to be condemned. And I can find no evidence that will be admitted in that day except holiness. Sinless perfection? Entire sanctification? I don't think so. There may be stumblings and setbacks along the way, 
there may be blemishes and defects. It was Vance Havner who preached with the greatest preachers in our nation in his day. And in one message he says, you know, I, I am friends of some of the greatest preachers in the United States. And he says, I found out that the big shots are really buckshot. And when he said that, what he meant was that every one of these great and godly preachers that he met, they all have some character flaws. There's always something in their life that they do that, they said that. And you'll find that to be true, that, that God's greats, they too are flawed. But there's a measure of holiness in their life when you see Jesus Christ, you see the fruit of the Spirit, you see the evidence of maturity, you see that they're seeking to maintain good relationships with people. And they will see the Lord. Let me uh, give you one last quote from J.C. Ryle, and this is to encourage you. I hope it does. It did me. Just as a parent is pleased with the efforts of his little child to please him, though it be only by picking a daisy or walking across the room, so is our Father in Heaven pleased with the poor performances of his believing children. You know what he's saying? Man, I do. You know, you see your little kid make an effort so feebly, but nevertheless, they're doing it because they love you. Are you pleased? Or do you rebuke them? Well, you, doing, you didn't do it just right. No, you don't do that. Neither does our Father. He looks at the motive, principle, and intention of their actions, and not merely at their quantity and quality. He regards them as members of his own dear Son, and for his sake, for Jesus' sake, wherever there is a single eye, he is well pleased. So when you fail, when you fall, think of the psalmist who says, that the Lord knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He knows we're frail. And so you get back up, and you keep on moving, you keep on trusting the Lord. You accept His full forgiveness, and you watch and you pray and you keep fighting. So the question is, are you holy? And then are you sinless? That, no, that's not the meaning here of the word holy. Is there evidence in your life that God has done a work in you? Is your life different? Is it distinctive? Is it uncommon? Is it, is it dedicated to God? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord.
If you take nothing from the service, would you take this? Hebrews 12, 14b. Look out holiness. No one will see the Lord. Father, we ask that uh, we might believe your word that says, Christ liveth in me. And now, not because of who I am, not because of the talents or gifts that I have, not because anything that I can offer to you, but because Christ lives in me, I can live a holy life. That is the means of salvation. That was only through Jesus. That uh, holiness is the evidence that I love him. And so, Father, may your character be implanted in my life and in the lives of all of your people. Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Good, how are you?